0: Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk live in the Washington, D.C. area Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio.
1: complete, please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ.
2: Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz.
1: And I'm Jim Russ.
2: And we're still in lockdown mode, but uh, we'll be coming out of it soon. But many, many, many things were going on this week in technology. We're still talking about that Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. I think I need to explain what that means in particular. Uh, I'll get to it. I didn't get to it last week, so I'm definitely going to get to it this week. And facial recognition is in the crosshairs. All of the IT companies are being at a full, full back on the availability of facial recognition software for the police because there are some civil rights issues involved there. We'll talk a bit about that. And um, this week, I'm going to talk about the dumb idea of the week. There's I only knew, one? Yeah, yeah, well, this is really dumb. There's a political party it, called the anti powerpoint party
1: so this would be the 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 dumbest idea of the week yes top of the heap
2: that is exactly right and i'll talk about another application an application you can use to scan your computer and it tells you how to tells you what kind of ram you need to upgrade the the ram on your computer it will give you an automatic rundown of exactly how much you can add and what type you can add sometimes that's really hard to figure out and uh We'll talk, uh, I think we may get to IPv6. Uh, It's, you know, it launched 10 years ago. IPv4, that's the protocol on the internet. It's been around a long time, and we're running out of addresses. And so 10 years ago, they launched IPv6, which has got many, many more available addresses, but it's just slow to launch. So on its Mm -hmm. 10th anniversary, we're still using IPv4. I'll talk about why that is and what's going on. And, of course, I'm also going to uh, have reflections, ob- observations from the bunker. I've got a, I have had a few problems this week, which I <laughs> want to share with you. <laughs> and Profiles in IT, I'm going to feature Rasmuth Lerdorf. He's the uh, programmer who created and was the inspiration behind the PHP scripting language. And that was uh, the language I used for the first website that I developed. It's also the language used on our learning management platform, Moodle. So I love PHP. It's been around for 25 years. If
1: you listen to us for a long time, you would know that this is a – you've talked about this guy before.
2: I have talked about him before. Yes, I have. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag.
1: Where did he go? Box. Let's try that one more time. There's a letter in your mailbox.
2: There he is. Okay, there he goes. He needs. he needs to keep. You know. You know. This coronavirus lockdown. He. He can't. You know. He can He cannot get out of practice.
1: It's you tough know. to smoke a Paul Mall through a mask. You know.
2: Yeah, that is. That's definitely a, uh, a problem. We got an email from Tom Shum. Dear Tech Talk, I'm thinking about getting a smartphone or one of those digital assistant things. It's interesting to find out. That Siri can use a British accent. Yeah, last the show last week, we talked about how to put a British accent on Siri. Yeah. I, played my, I played my Siri on, on air so you could hear the British accent. But I'd like to move faster and get one of these things. If I could get HAL 9000 as my
0: voice assistant, yeah, that was, is
2: that available?
0: Is that I available? Mean, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid <laughs> I can't do that.
2: <laughs> one, one nice feature might be for HAL to respond. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Uh Affirmative, Dave. I'll read you. So another nice nice feature for Hal might be to use my name, you know, uh, Tom Shum. Yeah, that would be good. uh, Or maybe the final question is, uh, could I get Mr. Big Voice on my voice assistant? I think you know
0: what the problem is just as well as I do.
2: I would definitely be an early well, adapter. I
1: would say that Mr. Big Voice would be available for a nominal fee.
2: Yes. Yes, that that, that would be uh, – that, that might be certainly uh, an option. Well, uh, actually, I love HAL 9000. I watched uh, 2001 Space Odyssey many years ago. It's one of my favorite movies. How the come voice, I'm not
1: surprised?
2: <laughs> the voice behind HAL 9000 is Douglas James Rain. He's from Canada. He's an actor huh. and he's going and he provided the voice of HAL 9000 for the for two films both the 2001 the space odyssey as well as its sequel 2010 the year we make contact. <laughs> you know I'm sure I, that was a
1: great movie. I never saw that.
2: I never saw the sequel. I never I didn't know there was a sequel. I'm I'm going to I'm going to look that up now. I'm sure you will. <laughs> now Douglas uh, Douglas died in 2018 at age 90. Now, Stanley Kubrick, the director of uh, 2001, heard Rain's voice in a 1960 documentary called The Universe. And Kubrick watched that movie at least 95 times. (laughs) (laughs) And he loved Rain's voice. and, uh, And he actually made this change right at the very end of the movie. They had someone else doing okay, it. And they, Oops, hang that on dawn. a second.
3: If you know the answer to today's
2: question. I'll make
1: that go away.
0: You know, Mr. You know, Big listen, Voice, Mr. Big, Mr. Voice, Big is audition,
2: Voice,
1: he's auditioning is, for the, uh, the the phone job there.
2: He does not like Hal 9000 horning in on his um, prop on his domain. And on That's a morning when not, he
1: was late for work, too.
2: Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Now. Tom, I looked. I tried to find if I could get voice uh, Hal 9000 voice for you. Now there is an application that uh, you can put on your iPhone called Siri 9000. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's useless, but it's fun. But you have to jailbreak it to do it, and it transforms Siri into Hal 9000 from the Space Odyssey. Now I should warn you, it doesn't convert. To house voice, it just has house quotes In using series vo- that's using pretty, series voice.
1: That's, that's pretty, pretty useless.
2: That's lame. Yeah, that is really is. lame. I was uh, just
1: looking it up and I was thinking about playing it, but you just dissuaded me from doing yeah, that. No.
2: Yeah. Now, now to activate. Now the thing is, it's a jailbreak, so you've got to jailbreak your phone, and then you've got to download the files using sh- Secure Shell (SSH), and you need to have Open SSH installed on your iPhone, but I do not recommend you do this. It's not worth jailbreaking. Uh, it's
1: good to see. It's not worth jailbreaking your phone. That's a really no. bad idea.
2: Then there was a HAL 9000 app for the Android that was developed around 2010, and then in 2017 Google pulled it off of the uh, pulled it out of the App Store in 2017. So it's not available now, but it was available for seven years, and uh. and actually it did have a HAL voice. Now Alexa's got a HAL thing called Fun HAL. Oh, boy. uh, That sounds just as lame. It is lame. It's just (laughs) Hal's quotes done in Alexa's voice.
1: Oh, man. Uh,
2: So really, there are not many options. But I can tell you, I still remember a show that I did many, many years ago with David Byrd, where we interviewed Hal. And we had all the quotes from the—we had a big interview. And Hal decided— During the show, that he wanted to become the co-host of Tech Talk and get rid of David Bird, so he took over the control panel, (laughs) and the whole show we were trying to get back control the the control panel back, and he would keep telling David Bird, "Sorry, Dave, you know I can't do that." (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, I have
1: a funny feeling that could happen during this show. I'm sorry, Dave.
0: (laughs) I'm afraid I can't do that.
1: Once you, you get see? Hal into the computer, it's really hard. It's almost like a virus. Like see, a he is a computer. He can
2: go in there and just – he can just go in there and take over. Exactly. So it turned out when you start looking at it, the the voice of Hal 9000 influenced all of our smart assistants. They all have this sort of deadpan kind of sound. And so everybody always would uh, have that type of cadence and mm-hmm. that influenced all of the all the smart assistants. So this movie had a huge cultural effect. There's you know, that's also
1: a good point cuz Alexa and Siri sound very much like HAL.
2: They do. They, it's all that same cadence he sort of established it. There's another thing too that's quite interesting. Most of the voices, voice assistants are women. Because of HAL, a man's voice is always perceived to be evil. Like he could, like he could take over. Yeah. And women's voices are are perceived to be more helpful. So because of Hal, nine thousand, there are very few male um, voice assistants. I mean, you can you can download them, but most people don't use them. They're not used to it because of the evil Hal.
1: Evil Hal.
2: By the way, uh, Hal, H A L. Came from you simply take IBM and subtract one letter is and you that, get HAL. Is how you know that. Yeah, so that's how they did that. They, they uh, he consulted Kubrick consulted with IBM while he was developing the the movie, and they named it HAL just by shifting IBM by one letter. Had, but Kubrick Kubrick denied that. He he said that's not true. But I think it's just too much of a coincidence. Yeah. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Good morning, Dr. Schertz. Would you please explain Cisco registered envelope service and transport layer security secure email protocol? How is, how secure is your email when you use either one of these methods and which one should you use to protect sensitive email? Thanks again for all your great advice, Susan and Alexandria. Well, Susan, I'm just going to have to explain something technical here. Uh, Cisco, These are both uh, services that provide encryption to keep it to make it so that people cannot eavesdrop on your conversations, uh, as you are uh, cannot eavesdrop or read your email uh, by by intercepting the message between you and wherever you're sending it. Now, transport layer security (TLS) is actually a cryptographic protocol that provides end-to-end encryption of data, like from your computer a web server. We're all familiar with secure socket layer. When you got that little lock on there that says you've got encrypted data between you and the web server, it means people can't intercept your passwords. Well, Transport layer security is the, is the replacement for secure socket layer. Secure socket layer was developed originally by Netscape C- Communication Corporation in 1994 for secure web sessions. And, um, it was replaced in 1999 by TLS. They're currently up to TLS version 1.3. So you can put applications on top of this secure, uh, you know, this secure transport layer. Like if you're a browser, you simply put the browser application on top of it. You got encrypted. Or you can put an email application on top of that TLS, that that uh, transport layer. Uh, Secure transport layer secure model uh, transport secure socket layers, so you can actually put it on top of that. And so it turns out the Cisco Registered Envelope is simply an email application that sits on top of that TLS, that that secure transport model, and um, it uses either TLS version 1.1 or TLS version 1.2. It does not support TLS version 1.3, which is the newest version. That came out in August of, of, of 2018. Now, the reason that uh, people like the Cisco registered envelope is that it has feature email features that are quite nice. Like you can send an email that will terminate, will expire. You can say, I want this email to expire in, uh, you know, in a week. And then what happens is that the certificate that's required to read it is simply revoked, and the person can't open it up after a week. It just expires. Or you can recall an email. Supposing you do also, you know, you send out an email, and then you you know it it's it, it's been transferred to somebody else's computer, and now you're allowed to get it back. Well, you, you can't get it back from their computer, but you can revoke. The certificate, so they can't read it, and that's equivalent to recalling it. So it gives you the ability to recall emails simply by revoking the uh, certificate. You can track when the email is opened, and you can control access, like you can block forwarding, you can block reply, you can block reply all, you can actually control what the person can do it at the other end. So, so people like this email system that Cisco has. It's very easy to use, but actually it just sits on top of the uh, transport layer security. So that's your answer. It, um, it, you know, it, you, just want an a, you just want an email application that will use that will use transport layer security. And Cisco, Cisco has one option that seems to be very easy to use. We got an email from Arnie in Colorado Springs. Hi, Doctor search Thought you might like to see this article. It's a bit over my head, I, if, although I've taken a few physics courses. But I thought you might like to learn all about twistonics twist tonics arnie in colorado springs (laughs) well you know twist tonics that's not a dance now this is not a dance (laughs) you know
1: i'm glad to know that
2: yeah that's very good okay it it's based on the properties of two-dimensional materials so you could have like a two-dimensional carbon layer where you just have one it's only one atom thick of carbon one carbon atom thick and it's linked together and these two-dimensional Layers have very, very interesting properties. It turns out, theoretically, if you take two of these layers and stack them, but then you twist the second one a small amount, in this case, by you twist it by 1.1 degrees, it turns out that theoretically something magic happens. A, you can transport electrons through that layer with zero resistance, so it becomes a room temperature superconductor. So it's got extremely interesting properties that could transform electronics or else, if you look at the optical properties, you can actually control the passage of light as it goes through these two layers that are twisted relative to each other. And you could have integrated optical circuits. So this particular technology is still in the in the basic research stage, but it has the potential of really transforming electronics in the future. And that was a great article, Arnie. Thanks for sending that. We got an email from Anne in Arlington. Dear TechDoc, I've heard about the dangers of using the same password in all my accounts. How can I create a unique password for every account that's extremely secure, yet easy to remember? I think I need to become more security conscious. Love the show, Ann in Arlington. Well, Ann, you are right. You can't you don't want to use the same password on all your accounts because one account gets hacked. They just can use that same password and go to all your other accounts. So here's really an easy way to have a different password that's long and co- fairly complicated, but have a different one on all your websites, on all your accounts, but it's easy to remember. This is this, and I've been over this once before, but I think it's so important I'll do it again. You have to get a phrase that you can remember easily. And so it's, it's going to come something that means something to you. I just made an example here. My dog has spots and runs very fast.
1: Or this now, one. Now that would be...
2: I'm sorry, a,
0: Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.
1: You can remember that phrase.
2: Yeah. My dog has spots and runs very fast. Yeah. I mean, even Hal can re- remember that. Well, you take that phrase... Take out all of the spaces and look at that long password. It's like, you know, 25 characters. Then what you do, you capitalize the first letter of the second word. Just pick one letter that you capitalize. So you got one letter, cap- So I'd, dog, you'd capitalize, my dog, capitalized dog. Then what you do, wherever you see the letter A, you replace it with an ampersand. So you replace it with an ampersand, and whenever you see the, the letter S, replace it with a dollar sign. Now, that's going to make it really complicated to, you know, to, to guess, but as you're typing it, whenever you come to um, uh, an A, just make an ampersand. Whenever you come to an S, you make a dollar sign. As you type it, you can easily do that. And then you append that baseline password that you're going to use everywhere with three letters. So like if it's a Gmail account, you end it with GMA, Gmail, or if it's Facebook account, you might end up with FAC. So every different account that you have, you append it with a different three letters at the end, but the base, the baseline password passphrase is always the same. So you can easily have a different password for all your accounts and always remember it. It's a great trick. Good best of luck with that. And uh, I hope you stop using the same password on all your accounts, Ann. We got an email from Lynn in Cleveland. Dear Doc and Jim, someone stole my daughter's picture from my Facebook photos and they're using it as their profile picture. Wow. She's only 14 and I don't like it. Yeah. Can you tell me how to report the stolen picture to Facebook? Do you think they'll do anything about it? Well. They may do something about it, you can prove it's your picture, but you can easily report it. Uh, If you use, uh, just go to your, open up Facebook on the web browser, on your laptop or your desktop computer, find the stolen photo on the person's timeline in their photo sections, click on the photo to open it in its own web page, hover your mouse over the photo until a menu pops up, and then the menu, one of the options, click on options, and then you select, Find, support, or report photo. And you go through and you just report the photo. Now, they'll remove it, and uh, and you may have to send, say, uh, they may come back and ask you to send an original copy of the photo with all of the meta tags that can show where it, was, where it would be. You have to prove that it's your photo. But they're pretty responsive at doing this because this is a big problem on Facebook. Best of luck with that, uh, Lynn. We got an email from John in Fayetteville. Dear Doc and Jim, I have finally thrown in the towel, and I'm switching from an Android phone to an iPhone to keep my family happy. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's a lot of peer pressure in families when they want to share photos with AirDrop, you know. Uh-huh. Is there a simple? I you. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a simple way to transfer my data to my new phone, John? from Fayetteville. Well, John, actually transferring is pretty easy. They've they 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 they've actually made a very simple way to do that because Apple just loves to steal Android users. Okay, first of all, you set up your new iPhone and you'll be asked a simple question. Do you want to transfer your contents from an old iPhone? Is it a new phone or do you want to migrate from an Android? So in your case, you would just pick migrate from an Android. Now the last option will get you up and running quickly. Then what you do, you go back to um, your Android phone and go to the uh, Google Play Store and downloads Move to iOS app. It's written by Apple, it's called Move to iOS. Open that on the iPhone. This app will allow you to transfer your data wirelessly to your new phone. Now you'll have to use a Wi-Fi connection because by the time your, your new phone is activated, it will have t- transferred the number. So you'll, you'll, you'll have to put your, your old device on Wi-Fi, and then it will just transfer everything through the Wi-Fi connection to, to your new phone. It will put, put all your phone contacts in the right place. It'll put your bookmarks in Safari. It'll put your photos in media. If you've got any free apps like WhatsApp, Slack, or Facebook, it'll actually, you know— Transfer those, and those will show up on your new phone. So it's really easy to do, and I hope you have a lot of luck with that, John. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can.
1: It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
2: Rasmuth Lerdorf is a Danish-Canadian programmer, best known as co-author, and the inspiration behind the PHP programming language. Lerdorf was born November 22nd, 1968 on
1: Disco Island. Sorry, the people (laughs) from Disco Island took over for a second.
2: You know, that, I think that must have been the music in the delivery room there in Disco Island.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Disco Island is in Greenland, right?
2: It's in Greenland, yeah. It's right on the west coast of Greenland, a very small island. Then after, uh, after he was born, his family moved to Denmark. And then in uh, 1980, they moved back to Canada from Denmark. And he's now actually living in, in Greenland. He loves Greenland. Huh. His first home computer... Was a Timex Sinclair One Thousand.
1: <laughs> I never even heard of that.
2: He used to, neither of I. <laughs> it was uh, it. It wasn't a big seller. I don't I, think. I need it, to
1: look that up. The research may, desk is on it.
2: Yes, his first home computer was the Timex Sinclair. Ah, yeah,
1: that's what I was doing. I was looking up the Timex Sinclair. I got to see this thing.
2: And he had a dial-up modem, and he used Gopher, the Gopher protocol, to re- research e- from, e- research papers. This was a, this was actually a way to search for different files on the internet, and they called it Gopher because you were going to go for the file. <laughs> <laughs> he graduated from King City Secondary School in 1988, and uh, in 1993 he graduated from the University of Waterloo which is Waterloo is the, uh, you know, the, big, uh, the big IT hub there in Canada. He had a BS in systems design engineering. Now in 94 is when the first Mosaic web browser came out. That was Tim Berners-Lee, you know, brought that out. And this Mosaic web browser changed everything because everything was so much more accessible. And he became highly motivated to work on things that would impact the web, because he thought that's where the future was. this you I mean, I used the Gopher tool and the FTP and all the the tools prior to the the browser, and they were you know difficult to use and slow, not very transparent. And obviously they weren't really for the general public. They were more for you know computer geeks at universities. Um, the first thing he did. He contributed to the Apache uh, server. That's a, that, that was an open source web server. He started contributing to the open source code. Then he started working on MySQL, which is an open source SQL database, because he's a big devotee of open source. He loves open source. And he put in uh, his claim to fame with MySQL, he put in the limit clause. You know, sometimes if you put in a, a request, and you say, well, and, and your request is, um, is poorly formed, you might get this monstrosity of an output that you really don't want. You just got it by mistake. And so rather than clog the machine up, waiting for that, he just put in a limit. So if, if, the, re- if the result of your query is, is longer than a limit, it just cuts it off. And that was actually a feature that has, that has sort of stuck with MySQL clear to this day. Um, he created the – in 1994, he wanted to make a personal homepage, and so he created a scripting language that would operate his own personal homepage, and so he called it PHP. Now, why did he call it PHP, the scripting language? Because that stands for personal homepage. <laughs> that
1: stands to reason.
2: <laughs> that stands reason. So he set up a, a common gateway interface uh, where he could actually – um, you know he could access uh, different um, different uh, databases and things. He set up a CGI interface and he wrote it in the programming language C. And so he was basically trying to create a personal home page that was easy to maintain. and so so he had the so he just set up a structure that made it easy for him to maintain with this uh, with this uh, programming language. Now he started adding tools as he wanted to add more sophisticated, more sophistication to his home page. And eventually, he got a set of PHP tools. Now over time, Rasmuth kept rewriting the tools, making them better and better and better to create a larger and richer implementation. Now, he then eventually added database interaction. He also provided a a framework where users could develop simple dynamic web pages. And I gotta tell you, it was very intuitive. When I want, when I was way, way in the day, when I created the first web page at Stratton University, I used PHP, and I'm t- it's a very intuitive language. I just got a book, studied it, and just started working on it, and wrote a pretty, pretty nice web page that used that that drew its data from a database, MySQL database, and it was really intuitive and easy to use. So I think he did achieve the results that. You know, it brought back, it brought web programming to the masses. You don't have to be able, you don't have to be a C programmer or a Perl programmer in order to program a web page. Now in June of 1995, he released the source code for PHP tools to the public. And that allowed developers to start improving it as they would see fit. It also permitted users to fix bugs in the code and to make it better. In September of 1995, he expanded upon HPA, uh, PHP and he added Perl-like variables. He uh, added uh, HTML embedded syntax. He was trying to make it easier for programmers to use. In October of 1995, he, he completely rewrote the code and he called it the Personal Home Page Construction Kit. And this kit, this language, scripting language, was deliberately designed to resemble C in structure so it, they, you could, it would be easy to adopt for programmers or developers that were familiar with C or Perl. In April of 1996, he included support for databases, for MySQL, for Postgres 95 databases, for cookies, as well as user-defined support. And it started taking off, this open source code. In 1997 and 1998, PHP had a cult of several thousand users around the world. And there were over 60,000 domains reporting to reported that reported that they were using PHP. So it was becoming widely adopted globally. Uh, and that was his passion to develop this open source code. And it was just always a hobby for him. Um, now, he did have to actually work for a living because he made no money on PHP. This was just a passion. He wrote it and it, opened it from 2008 to 2009, he was by Yahoo, as an infrastructure architecture engineer. That's how he earned his money. But his passion was ticking off PHP at night. In 2010, he joined in order to develop their API application interface. In 20- 12, he In 2012, he joined ETS, by Etsy, that's that uh, do-it-yourself so where you can sell things. Yep. And he remains at Etsy today. He's still there. He's, he went there in 2012. In um, 2013, he joined Elastic as a senior technology advisor. He's still working at Etsy, but he was just an advisor there at Elastic. He's a frequent speaker at all the open source conferences around the world, he works for a living at all these other jobs, but his real passion is PHP. I watched a, um, an hour presentation that he gave up on the 25th anniversary of PHP, which was celebrated uh, not too long ago. And um, it was celebrated this year, the 25th anniversary, and he went through the whole sequence of how he added structure to PHP. And he said he always felt there'd be something better. He said he developed it because there weren't easy tools to use. And he says, you know, somebody's gonna come with something better than PHP in six months. So he always thought it was six months away from not being used, but he, so he would always do these fixes and these tweaks, but he never really thought of it as a sort of a long-term uh, scripting project, but, but it was and uh and it was interesting to see how he made his decisions as he got the structure
1: the research department went on the web and we found the timex sinclair personal computer you can find it on etsy you can find it on something called poshmark which is again a shopping website and uh you can find these things for about a hundred bucks if you're interested want to get a new one and um there you go. So there, there, that's uh, that's the deal with that. It is uh, Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. We're heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM 2, 1039 FM 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. We're also at federalnewsnetwork.com. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by calling us, or rather by going to stratford.edu on the web. And we'll play the pop quiz coming up. Stand by.
3: Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard
1: Schurz. Oh, well, there you are. Yes, They're I'm sitting back down here early because we're running out of time. Go ahead and ask the question. Oh, okay.
2: This is uh, not simply a radio show. It's a Clash no. of the Airways, and right. we have to do an evaluation with your listening. Right. Earlier in the show. I was talking about Rasmus Lerdorf. He, of course, is the creator of PHP. Where did the name PHP come from?
3: All right. If you know the answer to today's question... I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Shut up, pal. Pick up your phone. Give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of a pile of empty oyster shells in Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. Planning a trip to Disco Island from Canada. Just final, yeah. Call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. Pretty sure Hal used some Lysol wipes on it earlier. 877-936-39333. Now, once again...
1: Affirmative day. I'll read you. Dr.
3: Richard Schurz.
1: You still there after all that?
3: I'm still
2: here. Okay. Yes, right. indeed.
1: So let's uh, continue on with something while the phones melt down, and we'll
2: find okay. a Okay, I can tell you, uh, cell phone videos have changed the world. Uh-huh. In 2008, Steve Jobs had an, ass- had an assignment for a small team of engineers at Cupertino to make the iPhone record video. Because he noticed when the first iPhones came out, people were taking lots and lots of pictures. So he wanted to add movies. So Apple released the first iPhone that could record movies as the iPhone 3GS could record video. Now, 10 years later and 10 iPhone models later, a 17-year-old Darnella Frazier found herself standing on a sidewalk in Minneapolis turning on her iPhone 11 and she launched a video as fast as possible. She uploaded the video of George Floyd's murder, and the rest is history. These videos that all came from this original initiative of Steve Jobs have been good for humanity, and they have accelerated change. I think everybody having a video camera is really a good thing.
1: And you know what, Doc, hang on a second. We're going to just vamp a little bit here because okay. we do have somebody who'd like to play the game
2: okay very now, good
1: okay let's go to lewis on line one lewis good morning how are you sir lewis
2: lewis Woo-hoo.
1: lewis you there let's try one more time here lewis are you there good morning lewis lewis hello lewis Ay, 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 It's one of those mornings. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know where he is. Let's try. Let me try this another way. All right. You you uh, there doing? you are. We're, we tried, uh, tried I another way. Uh, okay, all right, Doc. Okay. <laughs> you asked the question. Uh, did, did you, uh, d- Lewis, you know the answer? Let's just go
2: that route. Lewis? What does PHP stand for, Lewis?
1: computer. That is correct. Okay. Good enough. Close that enough for good. government work. That Hang on. Fine. We're going to put you back on hold and send you back over to Andrew. <laughs> it's Saturday morning. This is Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, three one hundred uh, 104.5 FM in Loudoun County. We'll be back with more Tech Talk in just a minute.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Shirts of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Observations
1: from the bunker. got to do something about
2: that door. I know. This has been a rough, rough week in the bumper. <laughs> I had a small tragedy this week. Uh-oh. Last week, I was out doing some weeding in the backyard, cutting down some vines or growing up a tree. I returned to the house to rest. I didn't wash my hands. Uh-oh. Now, I only wash my hands when I come back from Walmart, for, you know. I go back shopping. I got, you know, I put on the mask. I wash my hands. I get gas. I wash my hands because I'm going to flatten the curve, according to Doctor Fauci. Yes,
1: so you flatten your face instead.
2: Yeah. So what happened was the next day, I woke up. My eyes were swollen shut with poison oak blisters. <laughs> oh, no. I'd been wiping my hands on my face. <laughs> now here's the tragedy. Were, were you doing iPhone,
1: this? Were you not wearing gloves during this?
2: No, I wasn't. I was just out oh, there. Oh my. God. Just be with nature. But now here's the tragedy. <laughs> it's it it's really it's bad news if your mother doesn't recognize you. It's a tragedy if your iPhone does not recognize you. I wow. couldn't open up my iPhone with face recognition.
1: Wow. That's bad.
2: So so I had a critical decision to make this week. I said, "Should I <laughs> reprogram my phone to see my you know, modified face, and I decided just <laughs> to leave it alone and, and just put in my passcode every time I would do it because I have to do that when I'm wearing a face mask anyway. So that was it. So now I have additional advice for Dr. Fauci and the coronavirus team. <laughs> they need to give us more guidelines for social, for you know, social distancing. For instance, we need to social distance from poison oak and poison ivy. Yeah, Dr. Mm-hmm. Fauci didn't talk about that.
1: No, he did not.
2: Okay, if you're swimming, you need to social distance from sharks. He didn't talk about that, right? (laughs) If you're walking in a jungle, you need to social distance from tigers and lions.
1: Well, and if you're walking down a city street, you need to social distance from falling anvils and pianos.
2: Yes, that's very true. If you're walking out in the desert, you have to social distance from rattlesex. There are so many social distance rules that Dr. Fauci and his team left out.
1: Well, I'm glad you're here to help us out.
2: Had he had he said social distance from poison oak and poison ivy, I would not have this trouble. But, you know, yeah. I was only washing my hands when I go to Walmart and get gas. So that was my <laughs> tragedy of the week. But, and it really, really did tax me. But now I'm just now recovering. Now this morning for the first time, my phone recognizes me. So it's
1: the silent threat lurks in many forms, Doc.
2: Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Now, the dumb idea of the week the is that anti- putting your fingers
1: in your eyes? is that the dumb idea yeah, well, of the
2: that week? that was the dumb that was the dumbest idea of the week. okay, <laughs> the second dumbest idea of the week is the anti powerpoint party. <laughs> now, this party they but well, actually, I've grown to hate PowerPoint presentations to tell you the truth they they stand between the presenter and the audience, and uh, but a guy um. A guy in Switzerland by the name of Matthias Poem. He's got really strong opinions, and he's a former software engineer. He founded the anti-PowerPoint political party in the Swiss political system, and their their uh, motto is "Get rid of all PowerPoint." It was formed with the sole purpose of raising awareness about the inefficiencies of PowerPoint slideshow presentations. And he's gotten a lot of uh, you know a lot of interest in this thing that uh, they didn't exactly take over the Swiss government, but they managed to get enough votes to become the eighth largest political party in Switzerland, <laughs> measured Crazy. by the votes cast in 2015. It's just a little indicator of how much people hate sitting through PowerPoint presentations mm-hmm. yeah Now facial recognition is in the crosshairs. Ah, uh, facial recognition is getting better and better uh, as we as we get more complete data sets of um, of faces because this software is trained using uh, using uh, artificial intelligence where they learn from the database. Now, <clears throat> one of the problems with the facial recognition software actually is that the data sets they're using have mostly. Uh, white people in it, and very few uh, people of color. Therefore, it, it doesn't work very well on African Americans or any uh, anybody uh, who has, who's a darker complexion. It just it doesn't work very really. well, and so they they they're not accurate, and you get a, you get a lot of false positives. But despite that fact, the companies just psh, launched it, and police departments have been using it pretty it, it, at a at a fast clip. Uh, they're using it, you know, to you know, scan crowds, to to scan uh, demonstrations, to try to identify people in the crowd so they can arrest them. And there are questions about civil rights and whether it's whether people whether they whether they have the right to use that kind of software to identify people. And I'll tell you, it it really it came to a head this week with the protests over the killing of George Floyd, uh, because. The police were using the software to track the rioters and track the the looters. And so it got the attention of the technology companies. So IBM this week announced it would stop selling facial recognition software. Amazon placed a one-year moratorium on its use of recognition by police pending a regulatory action by Congress. Amazon said we're going to – we do not want – and the Amazon system recognition was the most successful and widely deployed with with police departments. They now said they can't – police departments can't use it for a year because they want to be guided by regulations and laws by Congress. This has sort of transcended what Congress has talked about. And the Amazon's case probably the most significant. In addition, Microsoft said its facial recognition would not be sold to police departments until there was federal law governing the technology. So and we need actually we need better data sets in order for it to be accurate. And we also need laws governing privacy. We don't want to become nineteen eighty four with big brother everywhere. Yeah.
1: Well we sort I mean, of are.
2: We sort of are and I think people are afraid of that. So it's not not really a good a good thing to do it. So we need accountability and we need have we need to have the ability to opt out of facial recognition tests if we want to, and there is no way to do that. Let's talk briefly about this uh, 230 Communications Decency yeah. Act. It was mm-hmm. written a long time ago, 1995, really before there was a, you know, social media, and essentially it said a platform uh, it it does not um, is not responsible for what's spoken on it. Back then, we only had. CompuServe, Prodigy, and AOL, and like if there would be some discussion or something, uh, they, uh, AOL did not want to be accountable for what people were going to say in their threaded discussions. And we didn't at that time we didn't have Facebook or Twitter or or Instagram, any of these other really major accounts. And so that communication act said, look, we're going to treat these platforms like AOL, Prodigy, and CompuServe, just like a phone company. Uh, that's what's in the Telecommunications Communications Decency Act. So if somebody makes a phone call and they say something, they do something illegal with the phone call, we don't hold the telephone company accountable. We hold the people that made the phone call accountable. So they were using that basic idea that, um, that these, uh, these IT platforms are like telephone calls. But things evolved, and now you've got news feeds, you've got censorship, you've got a lot of other factors that are coming to play. And President Trump once put an executive order where he blunts the uh, the effect of uh, of Section 230 in the Communications Decency Act, and I think that actually is a good clause where uh, you don't you don't have too many things you don't hold them accountable. But uh-huh. we have to tweak it a little bit to make it more effective because you don't want to have too much bias in those platforms. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at, at Stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And we also uh, would like you to go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu, and tell them you heard about them on Tech Talk Radio.
0: Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.